Good morning, everyone. My name is Chris Kandaya. I'm the founding director of Home for Good, a charity with a simple vision. We want to find a loving home for every child in the UK care system. And Christchurch, you've been an amazing support to us over the years, particularly David and Philippa, and obviously James and Pat Copeland. James is running a seminar soon. He works for Home for Good, he's a tremendous member of staff. He's running a seminar soon for anyone at Christchurch that wants to explore fostering or adoption. Now, I don't know about you, but this feels like the weirdest Father's Day I can remember. I drove a hundred miles to see my dad and then couldn't even hug him. It's so weird with social isolation. Many of us longing for our fathers, many uh, fathers longing to see their children. But one little girl's really been on my heart recently, six-year-old Guyana Floyd. She said at a memorial service, my daddy's changing the world. And we all know her daddy's name, George Floyd a black man killed by a white police officer recently in Minneapolis. This global response to George Floyd's death has been quite remarkable. I can't remember anything like it, even when, and I wasn't around then, Martin Luther King died on April 4, 1968. Uh, there was a response, but it wasn't as prolonged and it wasn't as far reaching as we've seen uh, the response to George Floyd's death. There have been protests in 50 countries around the world. Maybe you've been involved in one. Uh, there's been some in Trafalgar Square in Oxford and actually Brighton, other places around the country. And I just wanted to offer you five reasons why Christians need to be involved in fighting racism. I'm not going to talk about how you do that, which movement you join or don't join. I just want to talk about five reasons why Christians need to be involved in fighting racism. They come from the big story of the Bible. And the first reason is from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And God says this, let us make man in our own image, male and female, he created them. That's a funny expression in his image. What, what does it mean for us to be made in the image of God? Uh, some people think that, you know, maybe if you got all the people you've ever met on Facebook or on a Zoom call and you face merged all their faces, you would have the face of God. Uh, but that's not the idea here. We are made in the image of God in the sense that we represent God. In the ancient world, when a king invaded a new territory, it wouldn't be unusual for him to set up a statue of himself to let the villagers and townspeople know who was in control. And so when God wants to demonstrate who is in control of the universe, he leaves an image, his representation. And what is that? That is a living human being. In fact, every human being is made in the image of God. We're supposed to look at other human beings and discern the character of God. That was what we were designed for, to display the rule and reign and the character of God to our world. But that has some really interesting implications. Every person you've ever met is made in the image of God. That means everyone has value, dignity and worth because of the fact they are made in the image of God. Another human being, C.S. Lewis said, is probably the holiest object you're ever going to meet. And that means everyone. That means uh, whether you're black or white, old or young, rich or poor, abled or disabled, gay or straight, everybody is made in the image of God. And how we treat another person is an indicator of how you feel about God. You, you know that's true. If you deface an image, you're saying something about the person being imaged. And if you honour an image, you say something about the person being imaged. So if we want to honour God, we do that by treating people made in his image well, which means racism, to treat someone differently because of the colour of their skin, 
is an insult against God because what you do to an image is how you feel about the one being imaged. Number two, most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not die but have eternal life. Did you hear that? For God so loved middle-class white people? No, for God so loved the world. Every single human being on this planet is loved by God. We go through the list again, black or white, loved by God, gay or straight, loved by God, racist or anti-racist, loved by God, trans or happy in their own skin, loved by God, rich or poor, loved by God, for God so loved the world. It doesn't mean that the world has responded to God's love appropriately, but God loves us. It's a package deal with God. I had a friend who had a sign outside uh, their house. It said this, love me, love my dog. You couldn't separate the two. They were so connected that you couldn't say, well, I like you, but I hate your dog, or I hate you, but I love your dog. No, it was a package deal. God says it's the same with us. Do you know the greatest commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is really important because it means that every single human being is an opportunity for us to show love to God. We demonstrate the grace and mercy of God as we pour love into people around us and we can't make a distinction between people because of their colour. If one person is being treated unjustly that is an offence to the love of God. So therefore if everyone is fiercely loved by God that means racism is absolutely ungodly and wicked and we must fight it. We must speak up when we have opportunity. If we hear a group being denigrated we need to speak up driven, compelled by the love of God. Now at Home for Good, that works out for us in making sure that every single child in the care system gets the love and care that they need. But there's a racial disparity in the care system. More black children are in care than would be representative of them in the population. They're overrepresented. On top of that, black children wait the longest to be adopted, have the least chance of getting adopted. We think that's completely wrong. And so last year during Black History Month and National Adoption Week, which we overlap, uh, we held a reception at number 10 Downing Street and had a big conversation about what we could do as the church, as civil society, as government to try and fight this racial disparity. And uh, we launched a little campaign about it. You can find out a bit more. Here's a little picture of what it was like going to number 10 with loads of my black friends speaking up on behalf of vulnerable children. And friends, there's a really easy way that you could get involved in that. It really helps me when I go to government to say that, you know what, the church is behind us as we speak up for vulnerable children, that, that people are praying for our work. They're informed about what we're doing. So just for fun, uh, here's a little QR code. It's going on the screen right now. Uh, if you get out your phone and you put it on camera mode and you point it at that QR code, then it will take you to a website and it will allow you uh, to put your email address and say, look, we're with you. We want you to speak up for vulnerable children. We'll send you details about how you can pray next time we're in front of government, the next big push we're doing on fostering or adoption and how you can get involved and maybe how you can give and support this work. And just to make it a bit more fun, uh, we're going to draw out three names from people that have signed up from Christchurch and we'll give you a free book if you fill in the little form. Anyway, that's something practical that you can do to show that God loves the world. He loves every child in care, including children who are waiting the longest. Number three. Everyone needs a saviour. 
in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we're told there is no other name under heaven or earth that we are given by which we may be saved. It's only through Jesus that men and women can be put in a right relationship with God. It's only because of what Jesus did on the cross. For me, although that's hard, that makes sense. If there was another way that God could have rescued the world, I don't think he would have let his son Jesus go through the torment of the cross, the physical agony, the spiritual agony of being separated from his father. There was no other way that human beings could be forgiven, reconciled, restored, adopted, redeemed. None of that was possible without Jesus. So that means there's really only one distinction between people in the world there's only two types of people those that have responded to the grace of god uh, through jesus and those that haven't every other division in society has no bearing on your relationship with god the only one that matters is have you believed in jesus and so therefore everybody needs a savior we all need the same savior we all need jesus and so racism is a denial of this gospel because it says there's another barrier there's something else that divides people that means you could treat them differently uh, it's it puts race as more important than the cross of Christ we can't treat anyone differently because of their skin color because of their ethnicity because there's only one difference do you know and love God or do you not have you received grace and forgiveness from Jesus or have you not if we put another barrier that is a stumbling block that's going to stop people coming to know Jesus so it's an absolute offense it undermines the very gospel that we sing about there is only one way that people can be reconciled with God and it's through Jesus and race has no bearing on whether you're accepted by God or not Number four, there is something important about the church. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul says that in Christ, that means those that have put their trust in Jesus, those that are by faith connected to Christ, they're part of his body now. In Christ, there is no longer slave or free, Jew or Gentile, male or female. It's all been destroyed by the cross. Now hear this, this is not saying that Paul didn't recognise that there were divisions in society, there were sociological differences. Of course there were. In the ancient world men and women were treated very differently. Uh, men were allowed to uh, speak and be educated and women often weren't and the church was incredibly powerful at undermining that kind of implicit sexism and patriarchy in society. Uh, in the ancient world there was a massive difference between slaves and free. In fact, the difference was bigger than the Queen of England and someone who was a rough sleeper, because at least the Queen of England and the rough sleeper both recognised that e each other are human. But in the ancient world, a slave was an object to be owned, and a free person, well, they were, they were human. So there's this huge gap uh, between them. And finally, uh, there was a massive difference between Jew and Gentile. Uh, Jewish people often perceived Gentiles as being only existing to fire the flames of hell. And Gentiles, often Greek speakers, would call the rest of the world barbarians because they just made a funny noise, ba 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 ba. But Paul says, in the church, there's something different. Those divisions in society, they're, they're not to exist in the church because the church has a different purpose. The church is supposed to demonstrate the glory of Jesus and, and how he can bring people together. In Ephesians, it talks about uh, Christ's death blew up the dividing wall that was separating people from one another. They're blown up in Jesus. And so when the church does its job, it's supposed to be a signal and a signpost and a trailer for what God's going to be doing in the future. And when we deny that, 
Racism undermines the very purpose of the church. Martin Luther King once said that America is its most divided at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning because they have white church and black church. And that is an offence to the purpose of the church. I was on a train once to Birmingham and sat opposite me was a lady who was going to advertise some slimming products. And uh, we, we got talking, she told me about her job and she was going into the town centre and she was going to advertise slimming products. And on her t-shirt it said, lose weight now, ask me how, which was great. She was giving me a living advertisement for slimming products. The only problem was, and I've got no issue about what shape people are, but if you're going to sell slimming products, you really want to look like someone who's pretty good at slimming. This woman's body denied the message. So I think it was going to be a tough sell. The same with the church. We are supposed to be demonstrating to the world that we are connected with Jesus, we're forgiven, we're reconciled, we're brought into relationship with him. And if the body of Christ denies the message of Christ, we're blowing up the main reason the church exists. Number five, when the Bible describes our future, it does so in a book called Revelation, which is full of fantastical metaphorical language. And it was given as a vision or a dream to the apostle John when he was in captivity. Maybe he was in lockdown on the island of Patmos. And what he sees on his own is a vast crowd of people, innumerable multitudes of people from every tribe and tongue. And what it tells us is everybody's invited into the kingdom of God. Everybody, doesn't matter your background, your history, your ethnicity, your gender, your race, everyone gets invited. And there isn't going to be kind of white heaven and black heaven and Pakistani heaven and Asian heaven. It, there's just going to be one crowd gathering to worship the Son of God. And so if we are a divided church, if we're involved in, in racist behaviour or attitudes or structures, we are undermining the future. We're either a church that's pointing people to God's future, we're a foretaste of the coming kingdom of God, or we're a distraction from it. I love to go to Waitrose when they have those little tasting booths, you know, when you get to try a little bit of cheese that they're trying to sell you. Imagine they give you gone off cheese to sample. It's actually going to put you off from wanting to buy the cheese. If the church is involved in racism, if we're not fighting against racism. We're pushing people away from God rather than to him. And that is a major problem. It's a denial of the purpose of history itself. So friends, what will you do? What will be your response? How can you use your voice, your influence, your power, your mind, your body in order to fight against racism? We want people to know that they have intrinsic value, dignity and worth because they're made in the image of God. We want everyone on this planet to know that they are loved by God. We want the church to be a taste of what's coming in the future. This incredible crowd of people from every tribe and tongue gathered to worship Jesus. That's what we want. And therefore, we must fight racism. Christchurch, this is our moment. This is God's timing for this issue. What will you do? Thank you so much for listening. May God bless you as you take God's passion, God's vision for the whole world. Take it forward. Demonstrate it in word and deed. See you soon.